Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, presented by Paul Spain, Bradley Burrows and guests. This is the NZ Tech Podcast, episode 42. Yes, Paul's age. <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs> you guys might be that old, but I'm certainly uh, not just yet. No, mate, you don't look a day over 45. No. Man, that's harsh. That's harsh. I'll tell you, think, talking of birthdays, my son was one yesterday. Oh, oh congrats, awesome. little buddy. Yep. So, uh, Pablo, if you're listening, son, happy birthday a day late. He's just so. sucking the iPhone at the moment because it vibrates. <laughs> <laughs> right. you, you, brought, you brought him the new 4S for his birthday, I trust. He's talking to it, going, Dada, and it's going, I love you, says Siri. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, right, so this evening we've got a few uh, few topics, as always, chatting a little bit about security. Apple uh, breaks through a barrier in market share. We're talking a little bit about uh, local computer news provider, Computer World, hmm. who have hit a milestone themselves. We're chatting about the iDev event. Brad, what you had some uh, some other dis- some discussion around Steve Jobs' book? Yeah, I'm well, I'm reading it at the moment. And there's some good little quotes in there that I just thought would be interesting to discuss, and okay. I know we've all, we've all consumed some of it. So yeah, okay, all right, we'll dive into that. We'll chat a little bit about iCloud apps and uh, yeah, a couple of other topics. So yeah, let's, let's jump into all those things. Number one, <laughs> Apple. What's yes. going on? They've they've hit like this milestone that uh, apparently uh, Steve Jobs spoke about ten years ago that they were <laughs> going to break through. Um, they were aiming to to reach five percent market share. Yep. In the the PC, well, you know, com- personal computer business. Yep. And they've done it. They've hit five point two. It's been announced by IDC. Yep, their highest market share in fifteen years. Um, so just so we're clear, if they're listening, we believe that this includes iPads and all their PCs, MacBook Airs, all those type of devices, but does not include their, their phone, smartphone market share. I don't think it includes the tablets either, from what I'm reading. But that, yeah. we're debating that one heavily in the yeah. background here. <laughs> but for the moment, we'll go off the IDC stuff. So that's what they're saying at the moment. But it's good. I, th- I think. Um, and I mean, a lot of people are sort of going. They're only five point two percent market share that they, people everyone's like they should be 40 or 50 because they have so much of everyone's hearts and minds with all their devices at the moment and yet their global market share is, is quite tiny but I, I think well, it's, it's a good tiny. thing they're, they're, they're definitely one of the big the big uh, players you know, it's not as though anyone's got anyone's got a you know a huge percent no one's got like 20 percent or something like that right I, I think the thing they do really well is they market to the place they want to be yes so they tend to look like they're punching well above the weight that they actually are. Yeah, and it, it, I think it's it's it's. I mean, what are, I can't remember the Windows numbers. I think Windows around the eighty percent mark, and I think it's these guys have got the other five, and then there's a whole lot of Linux and different distros that sort of make up the remainder. But I, I think it's a good thing. I think the higher the market share we get out there, it means that we're going to have. It's going to make the Apple products a lot more robust than they are. It's going to make them. They're going to get hacked. They're going to find viruses. There's going to be all that stuff, that ecosystem that the Windows world's had to go through. And it's going to make the product that spits out the end a much better product for all of us. So I think it's a good milestone. I just hope it doesn't take them 15 more years to get to 10%. I think they'll do that a lot quicker. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, 5% may not sound like a huge amount in terms of total market share, but when you look at that from a revenue perspective, I think it's very different because what you've got to remember with, with Apple is, you know, traditionally their machines are priced, you know, somewhere between 10 and, say, 50% more than a comparable machine of any other specification, yep. so or of, of a similar, yeah, of a similar specification. But you know, if it's carrying the Apple logo, you are paying that price premium. So it probably doesn't cost them much more to actually manufacture their machines than anyone else. So at that point, it means you know, if we think of say a, a let's say it's a five percent margin that HP makes on each machine, if Apple are manufacturing a machine for the same price but selling it for, let's say, 50% more, then Apple potentially could be making 10 times as much profit per machine as HP. And I think that's what we're, start, that's what we're seeing with Apple's profits out there that have been in the you know huge billions of dollars, is that they're making big margin on every single product that they sell in, in general. So... They don't necessarily need to have a, a huge market share in, in every space, although obviously they, they've had a good market share in mobile and, and, and tablet spaces. Uh, but, you know, as long as they're able to charge that premium price that the Apple brand, you know, allows them to do that, then, hey, they're laughing, shareholders are happy, right? I, I think the big thing, though, is that also is that they're growing faster than any other products out there. So that's the PCs, the Linux, and everything else, uh, and that's that's a, a key thing. It's whatever you're doing, as long as you're outgrowing the competition, even if you're a small percentage, it means you're going to chew away really, really quickly. So, yeah, it, it is. It's good. I think it's, it's great for Apple. Yep, great for the shareholders anyway. That's capitalism in action. Right, computer world. Yes. They're twenty-five. Congratulations, guys. Computer world, New Zealand, is it? Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So when did you guys first see a copy of Computer World? Well, I've been in the industry 20-something years. I probably saw it about 18 years ago. Once I got into it, I started. Um, I remember getting the old uh, paper editions of it, um, and they're moving around. I think it's good. I've been, I've, I've been lucky. I've written a few articles for Computer World, and yeah, it's, it's a good publication. I think it's great. We need to celebrate. These guys have been around for a quarter of a century. It's impressive, isn't it? Yeah, New Zealand market, and they've got some great publications there. It's a good online um, benchmark of what's going out in the IT industry. So I, I hope they have another 25 years. They've been a good sounding board for the industry. Mm. Skip, yeah. what about you, mate? Have you been? Yeah, <clears throat> I was just having a think about when was the first time I saw it, and it's probably, I'd hate to think um, how long ago. But um, one thing I really noticed about it was uh, it used to be the place where you'd go and find your IT jobs. Because they yes, listed that heavily right. in the back of, I mean, yeah. it almost, it's almost half the publication at some mm. stage, and it, for me, it gave a real indication of where the industry was at. You know, if half the magazine was adverts, the industry was doing some really good stuff. It was really going well. Bingo. And I remember yeah. when I started seeing the jobs starting to drop off. That's when you started getting the indicator of the industry. It's starting just to grind down a little bit. So, I, I think it's been great as a tool to be able to see where the New Zealand space has been for IT. And to actually hear stories of some of the great local innovations that have been going on as well. Yeah, I, I remember reading it I was, when I was at school, actually. Um, that was quite some time ago, um, <laughs> uh, late 80s. And, 
yeah, it, w- it would always be an interesting, an interesting read. But there were always terms and things in there that I didn't just didn't understand. I hadn't been exposed to the technology, and of course, there was no NZ Tech podcast to listen to back in the eighties. <laughs> so uh, I uh, that you know that was one of the few sources of local information to actually uh, you know keep up to date with with what was happening here here in New Zealand on a regular basis. I think it, it, you picked a really interesting point that. It talked about stuff in the language, the industry language, and uh, for someone getting into the industry, it was actually a good tool to get your head around various aspects of computer industry, the computer, the changing and changing face of the IT industry. So for me, I, I was the same as you. I looked at it at some stages and went, oh, I have no idea what that is, but I'm going to go and find out. And you just, you, it was a great learning tool as well. So, um, And I think when you were in school, the internet wasn't in New Zealand yet, so there was no podcasts. Yeah. Well, the internet yeah. existed, but not for the general uh, consumer and, and general public. So universities had internet-based email and and so on. So, I mean, looking now on the, on the map, obviously Computer World's still here. That's great. Um, that is still targeted more at the tech industry. And, of course, our listeners are a whole mix of people that are involved in the industry, people that are enthusiastic about technology, or people that are just using various you know gadgets and want to learn a little bit more. What are the other pub- publications you guys would pick out that are uh, you know that are well worth looking at, or, or would you say that? Online is really the place where 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 you get your info. I mean, there yeah. it is. It is nice to pick up some of the glossies and the the magazines to have sort of something on your coffee table or to you know to read when you're not in front of a you know an iPad or or a laptop or something. But it has it has moved more to an online context, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I get I still buy well, I get given PC World to read. Um, I read the reseller, the channel. I read Computer World. These are the publications I get get in my hands. But I actually go online and read most of those. And I read all the... I I have a passion for reading the UK versions of a lot of those publications, like the PC World and all that sort of stuff. I like the UK flavor that they get. A lot of the articles that are over in New Zealand, actually they subscribe and pull it in from the US or the UK. So they seem to be a bit more cleaner from those ones. But uh, Computer World is is definitely one that I do still like to get. In fact, I've I've got one in my bag now um, that I will read and, and actually go through and see what's going on in the industry and look at the articles yeah and it's the same for me i'm mostly online and i guess if i was to subscribe heavily to a publication on paper it's going to be computer world itself so um but other than that i it's generally all online now mm, mm. okay no, that's good good to good to hear that feedback now brad you wanted to chat about bind security updates yes now this may sound like gobbledygook to some of our listeners Tell, tell, what, what does all that mean? Well, gobbledygook or bind? <laughs> Sorry, bind. So for the people listening out there, the, the way the internet works when you type in a friendly domain like www.nztechpodcast.co.nz, that goes to a DNS server or a lookup server, um, domain name service, and it looks up the name to the IP address. Now, most of that in the world runs on a, a Linux software called bind. That's the DNS server. Now, every now and then, this thing's normally rock solid. I mean, it is rock solid. But every now and then when they have a small issue, it isn't quite a small issue because it affects X number of percentage of the world's internet services. And Bind's just announced that they've got actually got a, a bit of security flaw, and it's actually one that where they've said immediately update. Now, 
the Linux security guys don't normally say immediately update unless there's a little bit of a hole there. So if you are running, if you are a sysadmin out there and you are running any of the Linux bind in your organization, I strongly recommend you go and find out from your provider or who gave you the, the Linux to actually go out there and do it. If you do want to know more, um, there's a fantastic article on the register.co.uk which actually goes through, through and actually shows you what the exploit is and there are exploits in market. Skip. Yeah, I was going to say the um, the DNS stuff is uh, a little bit of a sacred cow um, in terms of the internet and to leverage into that space is quite uh, can be quite a dramatic problem. So remember a while back there was that security issue around certificates where crowds like uh, I'm trying to think of their name there was a crowd in De- Denmark that oh yeah, yeah that was handing out uh, certificates Netherlands Netherlands yeah um, they were handing out certificates that were basically um, uh, they were like Google certificates or Microsoft certificates yep. signed as Microsoft and Google. Um, and for all intents and purposes, for those users at home, seem to be absolutely fine. Now, just imagine if you take that, create a site for Microsoft.com, and then leverage off the DNS. Then you start getting yourself into a or, really or interesting situation. Or for a bank. Banks. Right, log into a bank and it looks as though it's all correct and away you go. Yeah, and it can suck you in. So you want to be very... I mean, I've just been just had a quick peruse to the latest update and they said, while this is serious, the sky is not falling, just make sure you do this in a timely manner, which is kind of an interesting way of looking at it from a security perspective. Mm. Yeah, so um, yeah. It's, uh, it is uh, definitely sysadmins. Go, go, patch, patch now. Stop listening. Go and patch the servers now. <laughs> we'll be on in, on air for another 30 minutes. Keep going. <laughs> um, now, yeah, fortunately, that's not most of us, so um, we can we can, we can can leave that to uh, to those in the back room that look after those things. But the um, the interesting thing here is that we're, we're seeing a lot more issues, even just throughout this year, we're seeing more and more security-related issues that mm. impact all sorts of systems from the normal sorts of computers to you know obviously we you know earlier on the year you know Sony got really hit really hard with their their systems being specifically targeted um, there's been a whole range of things this year the one I found interesting this year uh, well sorry in the last week was these uh, the water plants in the US that had been uh, had been hacked did you guys read about read about that at all? Yeah, I, I did read the article, but hold on. Didn't Skip hack a water plant when he was down at KiwiCon? <laughs> that, that, I, I'm sure in, like, Paul, in last week's episode, didn't he say that they hacked a water plant? Can you not remember that conversation we had with him? It was a, it was a power and research company, I believe. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but, yeah. but what they did down there is they actually highlighted exactly the same scenario as what's happened there in the state. A lot of the um, underlying infrastructure that sits and controls, industrial controls, is a system called SCADA. And uh, it's, is, uh, it's probably easy to say that it's in its infancy in terms of security. So the idea is um, it's, a, it's secure because you've got a great big fence up around it and no one can get in and get to it. But once someone gets into it, it's, it's all on for young and old. Now, remember the Stuxnet worm that came out that hit the globe and everyone was all worried about this phrase Stuxnet? That was a virus that was specifically written to target SCADA systems in what they believe was um, Iran's um, nuclear facilities. So what, what's, what, is this, what does SCADA stand for again? Uh... That's cruel. Hold That's on, I'll really look it up. Cruel. I'll look it up. Hold on, here we go. 
supervisory control and data acquisition. That still sounds like gobbledygook to me. Yeah, okay. So, so what SCADA is, is it's basically the instruction language that uh, industrial controllers use to talk to each other and to talk to devices to make things happen. I know, I've just put you off to sleep. But just think about <laughs> so, it this So way. when you talk about a water plant, they need to be able to control the flow of water, all that sort of stuff. It's the technology that makes all that happen. Yep. Yeah, so, is that right? Yes, that's right. Yep. Is it doesn't just control what happens, like turn things on, turn things off. It also prevents things from going overboard. So in this case, they basically just wound a pump to destruction, just wound it way past its maximum tolerances, and it just blew up. Because industrial controls are designed to be pushed as hard as they can, uh, even to the point of destruction, and it's up to the engineers to write code to keep that safe. Sure. So that's what they did overseas. They basically um, injected into some SCADA system and just told it to wind the pump to destruction. Um, so this is what had just happened in uh, Houston, Texas. Yeah. So this is um, a form of attack we're going to see a lot more of. Uh, hacker groups and hacker um, conferences are talking a lot more about SCADA. And I think companies that specialize in SCADA, like the Omron control type companies, are working a lot harder to try and keep their stuff secure now. Well, who's, who says then we're not going to have our power cut off in New Zealand? We're not going to have, I mean, all sorts of issues. Well, not just here, anywhere. Well, that's, that's exactly it. So and potentially anywhere is at risk. That and that's uses. what's concerned everyone about the Stuxnet virus is that when they did a bit of a post-analysis on it, they found it on a raft of devices across the globe. So this thing had actually gone and spread itself, and it was lucky in the sense that it was only specifically targeting a specific space, which was the Iranian nuclear facilities um, otherwise it could have wreaked quite a bit of havoc so it is something that you've got to be concerned with I wouldn't put it past the security people at these companies that they're actually really working hard to keep things secure and working hard to um, uh, just tighten stuff up a bit so yeah it's, um, it's an interesting story but um, I, I'd say we're going to see a lot more of that in the next couple of years okay okay no that's that's interesting now, a quick uh, little mini update on Ice Cream Sandwich, which is a new uh, version 4 of the Android operating system. We see a lot, a lot of smartphones and, and tablets today. Um, it seems that we're going to see updates for a really broad number of devices coming coming through uh, next year. So the first one out, uh, what have we got? Is it the... Uh, Nexus uh, Galaxy, I think, is uh, is one of the first to, um, uh, to. Sorry, Galaxy Nexus is one of the first ones to come out. Um, there, there are going to be a whole uh, a whole range, and from what we're hearing, a large chunk, at least of the higher end uh, Android phones and devices shipped this year will be able to get the uh, the new version. So what is Ice Cream Sandwich? For the people out there listening that don't really know what Ice Cream Sandwich is, what does it mean, Paul? For, if I was to go out and say, oh, I've just bought an Ice Cream Sandwich Android device, what do I get? So I guess it's just the next iteration of the, the Android software. So smartphones... In theory, will be a little bit smarter when they're when they're running uh, Android four. I mean, we've talked about it before. It's sort of the coming together of the uh, version uh, 2.3 of Android and the version three. So you had separate version there for the smartphone and for the tablet. It brings that together into one version that can run on both tablets and phones. Um, it, it's still you know in its in its infancy as a as a new version, um, but you know we'll we'll see. 
you know a lot more activity in that in that space over the next little while and start you know becoming available for uh, for people's existing devices so it's also got a new UI for the touch based devices hasn't it that's one of the other big things I was reading about it with which I'm looking forward to seeing is that they've I think the merging of the codes is good but I think the new touch based interfaces is really going to be the big, one of the big leaps for Android 3 devices I reckon it brings it up in par with the likes of iPhone and Windows Phone 7 in terms of UI experiences well, that's a big call. I reckon so. I reckon call. so. I mean, there's a lot of nice little UI features that just makes life a bit easier for the Android user. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely an improvement on the on the user, uh, in, you know, from that user interface perspective. But I don't think we're necessarily going to, um, you know, we're going to see it become as consistent as some of the other operating systems. Uh, because everyone still wants to put their own sort of paintbrush or their own, uh, you know, flavour of it out, which is one of the issues with with Android is all these different sort of uh, variations. Now, I think we mentioned this last week, but uh, just mentioning it again, the NZ iDev uh, conference, which is a uh, about bar camp style um, event for uh, people that want to develop apps for iPhone, iPad, etc. So that's happening this coming weekend. So uh, worth looking looking that up if you're uh, if you're interested in uh, in joining in. Whereabouts is it again, Paul? Uh, it's happening here in Auckland. I can't recall off the top of my head the venue, uh, but if you do a quick um, Google or Bing search, you will uh, you'll find all the details. Cool. I think it's good to get along to these things as well. Even if you're not a iOS developer, you're on another platform. I think it's great to see because you got to remember now if you're developing an app. It's got a real reality now is it's got to work across multiple platforms because each app ecosystem, so whether it's Windows Phone, iPhone, Android Marketplace, is, is getting big now, isn't it? So, absolutely, and I, you know, I think that was one of the things last year. There, were, you know, a number of the guys that went along were you know, Microsoft type developers who you know were just expanding their horizons and so on. And I think, uh, yeah, that it, it makes sense to do it. So uh, definitely, definitely get along if uh, if that's you. And it was very, very well priced. I think it's something like yeah, hundred dollars. Basically, it's just to to, uh, to cover the costs. So yeah, well worth it. Now, Brad, you had some comments from um, your further um, reading or listening to um, Steve Jobs' uh, book. What what was that sort of? What was your uh, let's call it your quote of the week from Steve Jobs? So. Uh, People listening, this book is fantastic, and I think it's a must-read for the Christmas holidays. I, it, it's a quite an intense read. It's about nine hundred pages, and I'm reading it as an ebook. So, but he is a very interesting man, and he, uh, I've learned a lot about him, and a lot of stuff has been confirmed. But one of the great things he was talking about when he was sort of looking back on things, and it was I've just up to the part where him and Woz have been inventing some stuff for Atari. He said, you know. Looking at what Apple did in their first few years, and in the and later on, and when he came back in eighty, no, not, was it ninety six? Paul ninety six when he came back. Um, that he said, <laughs> I'm not even going to get into that. We're not going to get into this debate, debate again. <laughs> but look, he, he said, he said, look, Apple, what Apple didn't invent things. Apple reinvented what failed or what other people didn't do well. And he said, to you know, he talked then about you know how Xerox really had this massively clunky mouse, which is this huge box. And he said, we reinvented that and made the, the sleek system. Uh, an iPod style device had been around before 
but they made it sexy. Apple took things that couldn't be marketed correctly and redid it and made it polished, made it look beautiful and made us want to buy it because the aesthetics of it are amazing, you know. And and, and I, I really thought that that sums up, you know, what Apple was all about with Jobs. He he took things and went, I can do that better. And you see that in his, when he was a kid as well. He would basically would look at things and going, I can do that smarter. He would challenge people around him and he would say to Was. Right, was um, normal um, IBM are building a PC with fifty computer chips. I want you to do it for twenty five with twenty five chips, for instance. Mm. And Waz would challenge himself on how to do it and come back and say, "Hey, Steve, I've done it. I've done it. Okay, let's do it with twenty. Mm. And he'd mm. do that. And so it's really interesting. And they would just reinvent, reinvent, reinvent. And they just took other. They didn't take other people's ideas. Is not what I'm trying to say. They took what other people did, learned, and then made it better. And I think, but that's the computer industry. But it's really interesting hearing. Yeah, that I think from it's him. the way it's the way any industry or community works, isn't it? Everyone gets inspired by each other and totally and steps up. And you know, but one of Apple's differentiators is that they've, um, you know, they really have managed to come up with with products that are are uh, you know really attractive to the eye. Bingo. And yep. you know, in a lot of cases, have done something in a in a. Uh, or have they reinvented something? So they might not have invented it originally, but they've reinvented it and come up with it in a different way. Yeah, they didn't invent a smartphone, but they reinvented it because they made it work. They made it consumerized. That was easy to use, mm. and, and that was that is Apple to a T. I mean, yeah, there's a very very clever looking at products and going, oh, we can do that so much better. I'd like to highly rec- I've finished this book. It's I finished the audio book, which is actually 24 hours long worth of listening, and it is unbelievably fascinating yeah it is a very good if, especially if you've got time off over Christmas get a copy read it listen to it it is well worth the effort mm. yeah and it, it, even if you're not a not a fan of technology as in, as in a real hardcore Apple fanboy it, it's not designed it's just designed as a it's learning, still a learning, good read for anyone though it's right? learning it's, about the man who he was yeah. and it was really interesting he was he had some issues but my goodness he was smart oh boy now in other news uh Microsoft should be pleased that their Windows Phone marketplace has reached uh, or has passed 40,000 apps in the last week. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? Yeah, it's grown quite quickly. I mean, we're talking about this just off air, and I think you get to a point where Apple and Android are where it just, once you break 50,000 apps or 100,000, it just becomes this giant snowball that just suddenly, it just compound growth, right? And they're going to get there soon, and I think 40,000 apps within would you say 14 months would that be fair is that how long it's been 14 15 months or was it a bit longer than that uh yeah that yeah at, at the most yeah, yeah. so uh, that's not bad no in fact it'd only be 13 months i think Did so it? it was about it was october uh yeah it was october la- last year so yeah. um, 13 months yeah so we're talking 30 months that's pretty quick yeah i think you get to that point where it doesn't matter whether there's a hundred thousand apps or a million apps all of the key ones are there really and, and it's now uh, you know, you get to a point where, when when you you know when you reach that say hundred thousand apps, and when we're not there yet, but we will get to that point where all of those key things are, are sort of done, and there isn't a lot of differentiation across the platform. No, no, uh, we'll skip. Now, what's missing from the marketplace right at the moment? Uh, just the thing I keep reminding you of every waking minute of every day is where's Skype. The company that owns Skype now has not released Skype for its own devices. And I think, yes, you're right about the marketplace growing. It's quite phenomenal. But I think there's quite a lot of um, copy and paste code going on there as well. Now, it probably happened a lot in the Apple store as well. 
but there's a lot of apps in there that you just wouldn't give the time of day to. And there's no, a lot of apps that, that are just a reflection of the number that's in there, right? Yeah. But there must be a point we'll get, we will get to where we're very much the bulk of apps that have been successful on, on our, you know, the top apps off every other platform are, pr- are pretty much there. Now, we're not quite at that point yet, but we're very, very close to it. Skype would be one of the biggest ones that's really missing now. Uh, Audible Books for me is the one I'm waiting for because yes. I, I like my audiobooks and it's great on the on my you know, other devices, but I, I would like that on my Windows phone. I think. Do you think that's going to come out, or because yes. uh, because it's from you know Audible's owned by Amazon, they're out trying to you know push their own devices now. Are they going to hold off a, a, a little bit? No, I've heard it's coming. That's no, what I've they, they'd be stupid to limit it to their own devices yeah. because the market is not just their own devices. And if they can develop an app that actually pushes their product into different spaces, then why wouldn't you? I mean, they've already got the Amazon Kindle app for the Windows Phone 7, which works perfectly that's fine. That's true, that's true. There's a lot of Amazon apps there already, or the, the key ones, the Marketplace and, the, and, and Kindle. So Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And I, I think part of the, the uh, there's a bit of a sea change at the moment, especially with the discussion around Flash moving off mobile devices is that people are actually starting to write apps more for the mobile phones from a web perspective rather than an actual app perspective because, quite frankly, you can still achieve the same amount of stuff in a web-based version of your app uh, without having to go through a marketplace. So, I mean, Google, for example, is developing a lot more of their stuff from a um, an app uh, a web-based platform rather than creating specific apps. That's true. In fact, I think it's Google that have, that have announced that they're... Uh they're stopping some of their previous uh, apps. Is it the Gmail app that they've pulled from BlackBerry? Yes, that's right. Yep. And so we're seeing a li- we're seeing a little bit of that as well. I mean, you know, obviously at the moment there's still lots and lots of apps coming out and and uh, and being uh, being promoted, but there's also a few web web things coming through as well. We'll just take a quick break while Paul eats his chocolate bar. Crinkle, crunchle, crinkle, crunchle. <laughs> Time check on that one there. Yeah, I got it. Get rid of that one. <laughs> I'm going to throw in a few uh, a few Easter eggs tonight too. Yeah, I mean uh, the the apps thing is um, it's kind of cool seeing so uh, div- a store develop so quickly. But I I often go back into the marketplace as much as possible and see what's new. And I, I'm just there's nothing that blows my mind away at the moment. Well, I mean the latest app that came through was Tango which is that VoIP app which ties um, your device in. That was quite cool, but it still doesn't quite... Um, yeah, I mean, I'm still waiting for those killer apps that I really want, like Skype. So, I think the problem you're going to have, though, is whatever app you have, once you get Skype, there'll be another killer app, and then there'll be something else. I mean, and it'll be across all platforms. I mean, I look at... When I go to my other devices and have a play, I think, oh, I wish I had that. And they're all going to come because, like I said, I mean, when people that go to that iOS um, developer conference, I'm hoping that they're looking at thinking, well, if I create this for that, I'm going to go for the Google, the whatever other platform, um, the Windows Phone 7 platform. So, yeah, they're all going to come. It's just it's, for some reason the Skype one's taking ages because they, de- they have demoed it, didn't they, about... Didn't they demo it in Las Vegas last year or was it early this year that where they showed us it? And I was like, yes, cannot wait. So Now, another uh, app that's been uh, been out there is Spotify. What do you guys know about Spotify? Um, I know a little bit, quite a bit. 
I've been talking about it a bit. <laughs> well, that's right. So, so Spotify is all about music, isn't it? It's about unlimited streaming music well, and being able to get access to a huge catalogue of music. Yeah, but so it hasn't been available in New Zealand no. to date. It creates your own playlist or radio stations, uh, very similar to what Pandora is in the US. You can now subscribe per month or per year. There's 15 million songs on in the database. Um, it's a cloud-based service, which also allows you to download locally, but it holds all your playlists. So, if, for instance, I like Pearl Jam Nirvana music, um, it'll grab all that, it'll allow me to hit, create playlists around those songs, but it'll also have smarts around it saying, well, hold on, if you like that, you might like Alice in Chains and something else, and it actually has a bit of smart DJ built into it, and it cre- keeps everything up in the cloud, and it allows me whatever device I'm using, it pulls down those playlists to that device. So, if I'm on a Windows phone or an Android or my PC or on I do believe there is an app for the Apple TV. I, I need to confirm that, but I'm pretty sure there is. I haven't seen that. Um, I, I'm, uh, maybe the one I've got is a different version than other people <laughs> might have out there at the moment. Um, the one I'm playing with. Um, but there, yeah, so basically it allows you to pull those down and, and actually have a and have that from that side. But everything's stored in the cloud, so it doesn't matter where you go. And it's it's a rival to iTunes. Be very very clear about this. This is an iTunes compete. It is a Google Google Music compete. Um, but it's very, very popular. Yes, skip in the corner. What's this? Oh, I've got to say, what's... I've just jumped in rudely. Uh, what's this Google Music you're talking about? I don't think we've discussed that on this podcast before. Exactly. And the reason why we don't talk about it on this podcast is because it's only available in the States. Correct. Which is, But it just launched last week in the States, didn't it? It's been in so, beta for a long time. Yeah, but it's just officially launched and they've now got a bit of a catalogue. Yeah. No, the, the, the thing is that uh, you've got a lot of these online music um, services, but not many of them seem to have the ability to be able to uh, negotiate a contract outside of the contract continental United States so it's a bit of an odd one really um, it, it's great to see Spotify coming down to New Zealand it's great to see companies like Spotify realizing there's more to the world than just the United States well there's another company uh, you will have come across um, small one based in uh, Seattle in the US uh, Microsoft um, <laughs> Are they still around <laughs> yeah and uh, they just launched in Australia last week a thing called the Zoom Pass yep. and Zoom Music. Not here in New Zealand, unfortunately, but the fact that they've launched in uh, in the Australian market and, and uh, you know, I don't know whether Brad's heard any, any secrets about this stuff and if he had, he probably couldn't tell us or he'd have to shoot us, uh, including our whole audience. So we're probably unlikely to hear any secrets on that, but... Um, the fact that they've 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 now extended Zoom from you know, originally in the US into Canada, UK, Australia, and and some other markets now is I think a good sign. They're working hard to sort of take that global. So that would be that would be a good thing. So there's only one company in the world that has mastered this, and that is Apple. Apple went out there and they went out. And they went to all the music labels around the world and they negotiated all the legal contracts that you need to do, and they just went out there and with a blanket approach. And so, basically, I think that's the. It even took them some time though did. to get to Australia and New Zealand. It took quite a lot of time. But they they were the masters of it. So, I, I think the biggest hurdle around the world about us having global music um, and having the same services is is not the companies themselves, whether it's. Google, Microsoft, whatever, it's actually the legal loopholes you have to jump through in each country to get through the copyright laws and everything else. Now, Apple have done it and they were pretty. They were boyish and they got it through. I think that's the biggest hurdle that other companies face. And I mean, I don't know about the Microsoft New Zealand stuff, but from just looking at what I've read and heard about, I think that's the big one we've got to get through. Hey, look, you, just to jump back to a previous topic, the um, uh, Steve Jobs book, 
does go through that in depth about yep. how they did that and it is unbelievably fascinating from that perspective so it's definitely worth reading for that and there actually was a lot of personal um, hard work with um, Steve actually approaching individual artists to try and get it done I mean that's just the level they went to um, but yeah I mean the what Apple did with iTunes I think they certainly opened the door for the rest of the marketplace because there was a lot of resistance to actually put music online. Um, so I think we owe Apple a huge gratitude of thanks for them to do that because they time. really did break into that market for us. Yeah. Yep. No, so the story on Spotify is early 2012, isn't it? That's what we're hearing when it comes to New Zealand. So that'll be cool. Uh, and for those who are stuck listen and or visit our uh, website there are some techniques if you do want to subscribe to some of the US based services there are ways to actually give you sort of legal access uh, to those few hoops to jump through but um, can be well worth it right now Brad you wanted to have a little bit of a a little bit of a discussion around uh, social networks now most of us have got some sort of presence, whether it's on Facebook or LinkedIn, you know, Twitter, etc. Who actually owns that information? What are the what are the risks for, mm. say, uh, you know, for individuals or for, or for businesses with, with with putting that up there? Let, I, before I answer that, let me just put a scenario to you guys. I, I work for company XYZ. We're a co- we're doing really really well at the moment. We're making millions of dollars, and I so- decide to create a Twitter, LinkedIn, and social media presence for us. I create it, of course, I put it, I'll register it all under my name because I'm the social media person in that organization. And suddenly we go gangbusters and our social media is doing really, really well. Now, I decide to move on from that company. Everything's registered under my name. The company, XYZ, doesn't actually own those Twitter handles, doesn't actually own any of the stuff that I've created. I can take that with me because I actually, I don't own it, but I'm the registered manager of those particular services. And this is one of the things I was thinking about and I heard the other day was who actually owns the Twitter handle? Well, Twitter owns their, the physical handle itself, but the person that registers it actually takes it with it. So if you've got an organization and, Paul, you run your own business, if for some if for some reason one of your people in your team had created Gorilla, your business, uh, created the Twitter presence and they left and they could actually take that with them, you would actually have to negotiate with them to get it back, which I find kind of interesting because we all just take it for I granted. I disagree with that from a legal standpoint. I think if you're working within a business and you do something on behalf of that business, then that that is that is the businesses. If you go and invent something when you're working for that business, usually part of your uh, employment agreement says you know look when you do xyz that is that's the business's property the problem i guess is businesses who um who don't have employment agreements that are designed for modern types of things and don't consider things like uh software inventions intellectual property that gets invented under the business um you know social media those sorts of things that yeah there is there is the potential to get into uh in, into some some issues absolutely so I thought you might say that. So I, I spoke to a lawyer, and you're wrong. The actual person can take it with it because it's not covered under New Zealand law at the moment. In fact, it's not covered. It's only covered in one country at the moment, which is Norway. And at the moment, that part of the law is not covered under intellectual property. They started then getting into real technical areas around. Well, this particular thing, if you've done it, then registered as a registered company, as a domain names are different. 
but Twitter handles and those aren't covered at the moment, which I found really interesting because I, I would have agreed with you if I hadn't spoke to this person. I would have thought, hey, if I invent something, surely that's taken it. But no, apparently not. Apparently, legally, legally, it's not at the moment. Well, no, but legally will vary according to the situation. So if your employment agreement says that covers that, then those are covered. But because no one's probably got it in their employment agreements, then, then it's not going You've to You've got be. to be able to enforce something, though. That's the big problem. It's like a prenuptial agreement. You can't actually enforce a lot of them. So it, 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 I, I, agree. I understand what, exactly what you're saying. I, mean, I, I think I, there's also an ethical dilemma, right? Oh, you know, totally. You, you imagine oh, yeah. you went, I mean, uh, you know, let's imagine you worked for, um, I'll pick a big organisation, ASB, yeah. uh, you know, or, or any bank, right? And or any big organisation, they might build up tens of thousands of followers. Oh yeah, um, you know, th- one social media presence might be worth to the business, might be worth, you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars. So you know, if you walked away with that, you get into all sorts of uh, ethical dramas, I'm sure, amongst others. There's also a major issue in terms of. Um uh, brands, individuals as brands as well. So take, for example, a radio television station. They have a breakfast announcer that has a Facebook account. Many people follow them because of Correct, their yeah. position. And then they move on to a different company. They take that followership with them. Because it's their personal Facebook. Their personal they don't Facebook. own it. But, and what happens is that you tie, this is a really big balance for broadcasters is how do you balance that out? How do you actually make sure that you don't lose that followership um, that's built up through a particular brand, which happens to be a person. And if that person moves on, then you know how do you manage that? So it's something that it's very mindful to uh, be mindful of. Yeah, and look, don't get me wrong, I, I totally agree with where Paul's coming from. I mean, if I would have thought, of, I, I thought about that as well. But yeah, I, I when I found this out, I, that's why I wanted to talk with you guys about it because I found it really, really interesting that the only things that were really covered under this IP law is, is things like software patents and physical, and there's a few other entities which are coming through. So it was a really interesting uh, area and just be careful if you are creating stuff and you do run businesses, just around social media stuff that, like Paul said, you do write it into their contracts. Yeah, good, good, good advice. Thanks for looking into that for us, Brad. That's great. Now, iCloud. Yes. There's, uh, there's been an interesting article um, that... Um, uh, that we picked up online that I thought was interesting. It was titled The Hidden Cost for the Magic and How to Avoid It. And, uh, yeah, really all, all about, um, you know, the fact that iCloud actually does have, uh, potentially has some hidden hidden uh, hidden costs with it, right? So initially you can get your iCloud account for free, uh, but there are limitations on what you'll actually get for free. So there are things, for instance, your 3G data that has a has a cost to actually access stuff and then yep. you know pull things out of the cloud or put things up into the cloud. Uh, but there's also a limitation on how much storage that you get from from Apple. What, are those sort of the main gotchas, Brad? You've you've had a good uh, bit of investigation um, into this. So so the key thing with the iCloud stuff, while I I do love the product as well. Um, it, it's a data hog is what they're trying to get across in this article and one of the things is let's just say Paul's got his iPhone 4S and he's talking to Siri and he's got a 20 meg file there he syncs it up to the iCloud he goes home so he's used 20 meg there of uh, 3G data mm. gets home suddenly turns on his iPad now his load data connection will download the 20 meg turns on his um, MacBook Air downloads the 20 meg makes a couple of changes 
will send then that up to both those devices and comes down. So you can start to see you've got this compound amount of replication happening across. So you're, you're duplicating yeah. the file. And, yeah. and that's so what they're talking in about. Both, in both directions. Correct. Well, the, uh, that, that article which CNET published, one of the bits I was reading, uh, was talking about in a common scenario where your data usage might jump to 80 megs a day or 2.5 gigs uh, you know, or yeah, in the direction of two and a half gigs of data a month. Now, most of us in New Zealand just, I mean, if we used that much data, we would get, you know, crazy bills for our, our mobile or 3G usage, right? Yeah, then let me put another um, scenario to you, Mr. Spain. Um, you, your wife at home logs, um, opens up your iMac at home and buys something and puts an app on, on the store, um, out of the store. That app, if it's a iPad compatible will, or your iPhone compatible, will automatically replicate down onto your iPhone and start cluttering up your screen when she's buying it at home. Right. Now, you can turn it off, so don't, but by default, it's on by default. You've got to tell that not to do it. So if she goes out and buys uh, Angry Birds, for instance, and you don't have that on your phone, it'll sync down onto your MacBook here at home and it automatically will come across your 3G connection without you knowing about it onto your iPhone. Now, you actually have to switch that replication off so it doesn't do that because it's doing what iCloud's supposed to do, making sure the content's everywhere. So you can get in a scenario where a friend of mine, he was going, all these damn tiles on this damn iPhone. And what he's doing is his kids were downloading all these free apps <laughs> and it was replicating down onto his iPhone. And you've got to turn that off. And it's on by default. It's a simple switch. But it's again... It's I think that's only across iOS devices. So I don't think if you buy something on... Uh Say your MacBook, which is is oh sorry, uh, yes, it's only yeah, iOS so apps. Yeah, sorry, so sorry. it'll be yep. I, you yep. know iPad and iPhone, iPod Touch. But if you've got a number of these devices that are all linked together on same accounts and so on, well, then, you've yeah. got the App Store now on, yeah. on your MacBook Airs yeah. and stuff like that. It's anything yeah. from the App Store. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. my yeah. apologies. Yeah, no, 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 good, good. Uh, good points there. So, yeah, definitely something for people to be cautious of, and and bear in mind there is a there is a limit. Is it uh, five gigs? Is is the amount that they actually give you free? Which. Uh, I could have say, you know, without being uh, trying to be overcritical of Apple here, but I think that's a pretty poor, uh, it's a pretty poor amount that they give you when we look at what other vendors are kind of starting to give away, you know, free. When we look at uh, SkyDrive from Microsoft, I think it's you know twenty five gigs and has been for quite some time. Um, I'd say that most people are probably going to hit that limit pretty quickly, right? Uh, I disagree. I, I think. I, I mean, think if, you, if you've got a if you've got a, an eight gig, sixteen, thirty two, sixty four gig oh, device, yeah, 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 and yeah. you're trying to sync that thing to iCloud, um, any of those devices that are full up with music and other content, um, potentially hit that. Oh, although doesn't mu- music excluded, isn't it? Yeah, music ah, does not yeah, count. Yeah, that's a good point. Just, just because click. if they if they can trace the music back to their indiv- in, internal database system, then they'll just use that copy as your backup. Yeah, yeah. So you're only talking about contact and data, um, not even apps. Apps aren't included in that in that category. Yeah, it's photos. It's photos. It's pictures. Yeah, it's pictures. It's videos that you you make and in the storage side of the replication. Yeah. So it's five gig is not too bad considering that yeah. you know maybe uh, you probably have four gig of personal data at the most. On a device, unless you're a prolific photo taker. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'd be keen to hear hear back from uh, from listeners if anyone's got some comments on their experiences. Has anyone actually hit that five gig limit? Uh, maybe no. no maybe there's nobody. Blah, 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 maybe nobody has hit that yet. Um, so uh, yeah. All right. Uh, well, that's just about us for this episode, guys. 
One more, uh, one more topic is there, Brad? Yeah, look, I just want to. I'm going to go quickly through a couple of quick things. Um, you want to run Google? I'm um, sorry, Android apps on your Windows devices. There's a new app called BlueStack App Player, which allows you to play Android devices, um, Android apps on your Windows devices. Um, also, want to give a plug for the the Zoom Web TV guys that we um, we featured a few weeks ago. Been watching a few of the episodes. Great website. And I also want to give a plug to the Discourse guys. Um, Discourse is, a, is another great New Zealand technical podcast, and we, we're they good for them. They cover all sorts of stuff, don't they? Yeah, they're really All good. sorts of interesting topics, and I think they're doing, uh, this week they're doing something on the uh, on the elections. So, uh, yeah, no, lots of respect out to those guys for the good uh, good stuff they're doing. Yeah, they broadcast um, after us if you listen to us live, or you can get them on iTunes or Zoom. So, mm. yes, yeah, I want to say, been chatting with those guys, it's, been, it's good to have another technology podcast out there as well. Um, although they're not strictly technology, so they no, so, not. so they say. So, uh, but there is a whole lot of techie stuff in there. So, uh, yeah, cool. And yeah, the Zoom stuff definitely, definitely uh, much appreciation to them for um, for their their coverage of the NZ Tech podcast. And they've they've got some really, as Brad says, they've got some good content on their site. And we're expecting an announcement from Sony any day, I think, on uh, access to all of their content from Sony devices such as the Sony TVs and so on. So uh, we look forward to that becoming official because we would like to try it out and report back on it. Cool. All right. Well, that's us for another week. Thanks, everyone, for listening into episode 42 of the NZ Tech Podcast. You will find us online, nztechpodcast.com. Our Twitter handle is nztechpodcast. We're on facebook.com slash nztechpodcast. And as mentioned earlier on, um, there's also a group on LinkedIn called NZ Tech, uh, which is just general tech um, discussions or what have you. Uh, But, um, yeah, we'd encourage you to join up to that one too. All right, that's it. See you guys. Ciao, everyone. Have a good evening. Bye. Bye.